Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Page 978. He explains that the, the whole world was created through God's speech, God utterances, the, the letters and the words. But he said they're only called speech in relation to us. Because to us, the force, the energy that creates us, that brings us into existence, is compa- comparative to speech. Just like speech, speech reveals another person reveals what's going on inside of you, inside your mind, inside your heart, so too the speech, the divine speech, Hashem's speech, the letters, the words, reveal and communicate and uh, bring out the, what, what, the attribute of kindness, of love, for example. So in order to create those objects that derive from the ab- attribute of love, of kindness, for example, light, water, all of these have the characteristics of love, of generosity, of, of um, expansion. So how do you get from light, from love, from kindness, from the divine attribute of love to the physical light and water, to all the properties of light and water? So that comes about through the letters, the words, which reveal and bring down and communicate and transport and transfer the, the inner, the attribute, and brings it out and externalizes and reveals it and communicates it. So, and concretizes it, in a sense. So it's the divine speech and the divine word that actually concretizes the divine attribute of love and concretizes it and creates water, um, light, etc. So that's why they're called speech. They're called words, letters, speech, divine speech. But now he's going to say that really the letters, the letters are really divine. And although we call them letters and words, and letters and words, in our experience, letters and words are external to the person. They're inert. They're, they're just containers. They're just vessels. They're just vehicles. They're just transportation. Vehicles of transportation to transport a content so it's very external. But in, in the divine, by Hashem, even His speech is inseparable from Him. Hashem and His speech is one. And the speech is, has, is, is part of the divine. And that's what He begins explaining on page 978 in truth. In truth, however, the supernal letters of speech are far higher than the level of and essence of the wisdom and intellect of created beings. In this they differ from the letters of man's thought and speech, which are inanimate and belong to a level far lower than intellect. The Alter Rebbe now demonstrates that the supernal letters of speech transcend man's intellect and wisdom. Okay, so within man, letters, there's no connection between letters and, and the thought and speech. That's why letters are interchangeable Letters are inert, and they, they, they're just vehicles of communication. You can put any content in the letter. However, in the divine word, divine thought and divine speech, the letters in the divine thought and speech, so to speak, 
are much higher level than intellect. And the proof is, for man... For man, possessor of wisdom and intellect, was created by the utterance and the letters of the phrase, let us make man in our image. Since wisdom and intellect are derived from these letters, it is obvious that the letters themselves are far superior to them. Or man, possessor of wisdom and intellect, was created, even by the divine breath alone, as it is written, and he breathed into his nostrils the soul of life. It was from this breath that was breathed into man that he became a rational being. Hence, since divine speech and breath create man, who possesses wisdom and intellect, follows that the divine speech and breaths are the source of wisdom and intellect in the soul of Adam. The divine speech actually creates. This is the divine energy. This is the building blocks with which God creates the world and beginning with intellect, beginning with wisdom. He blew into the nostrils of Adam. He blew his soul into his nostrils. So the source of man's soul with man's wisdom all comes from the divine breath, so to speak. Um, and the divine, and then comes the divine words and letters. So, words are made up of breath, and then when the breath goes through the larynx, and it goes through the five different combinations of the lips and the and the um, tongue and the mouth, you create the different different letters. So he's saying not only the letter itself, the word itself, but even the breath that produces the letter, even that's superior to wisdom, to our wisdom. So even Adam, who was created by God, and his wisdom was legendary, and all the wisdoms in the soul of the great and wisest, wisest of men, and the greatest tzaddikim, the greatest, most righteous of people and all the great angels and supernal beings, all of that is merely a creation of God's breath and God's speech. So God's speech is the source and God's breath is the source for wisdom. So the divine speech is godly and therefore it has the ability to create and it has the ability to create, to create wisdom. So in that sense, the analogy is inaccurate. It's not like human speech. Human speech, words... There's no wisdom in words. A person who just reads words, if you read Chinese, reads a language you don't understand, you just read words, doesn't give you any wisdom. A person who has no innate intelligence, you can read all the words in the world, it won't give you any wisdom. Words don't impart wisdom. Words are dead. Words are inert. Words are just a container. It's just a vehicle. That's all it is. If you have innate wisdom, then you can, you can, uh, you can uh, discern what's inside the words, what the words contain. But, No, because Hebrew, the soul understands. That, that's a separate discussion, because your soul doesn't understand. We do understand Hebrew on some level. The soul understands Hebrew. But words, per se, and it's Hebrew words. Hebrew words are unlike any other words. That's what he's saying. God creates the world through the Hebrew language. The Hebrew language is the divine language. So the Hebrew words actually creates. You channel all the energies in the world through the divine words, which most of davening is words taken from the Tanakh, from the Torah, from the prophets, and the writings. These are holy words. And these words have the power to channel the divine energy because these words are alive, they're godly. That's the difference between... That's only in Hebrew, yes. That's only in Hebrew. That's the superiority of davening in Hebrew even if you don't understand. Because the words actually channel life, channel energy. It's very, very powerful. 
Because that, that's exactly the point that he's making here, that the Hebrew language is the divine language. And it's different. The Hebrew words, the language which God creates the world, the divine words are different than other words, than ordinary words. Ordinary words, words are words. Words are dead, words are inert, words are external, words are superficial, words are just a container, it's just a block, a building block. It's not... But the... It, and it's totally dependent on the content, whatever content you put in there. It's not the word. Words don't grow. Doesn't, it's emotions are alive. Emotions grow. You have a you know, childish emotion, you have an adult emotion, you have a superficial emotion, a deeper emotion. Intellect grows. You have a superficial understanding, you have a deeper understanding, more penetrating. Words are words. Words don't grow. Words are just a container. They're inert. Words have no personality, no character. It all depends what you put inside of them. It's the content that you put in the words that, that, that come alive. But the word itself is merely just a container, just a vehicle. I have to trans- transportation from here to here. How do I get from here to here? So I, I hop on a bus. These are the words, are communication. Um, they transport and they just reveal what's going on. But the word itself is dead and inert and external. But the divine words are different. The divine words are alive. They create. They are the source. The source of all wisdom, the source of all souls, of highest, the highest level of consciousness of all angels. So the divine words are really divine, are godly, are creative. They're energy, they're forces, they're divine energy. So even the breath of God, so to speak, and the words of God are really godly and therefore are inseparable from God and are unified with God. Okay, continue, continue. Okay. Which contains all the souls of the tzaddikim who are superior to the ministering angels and whose intellect, too, is superior to that of the angel. All this came forth from the divine speech of God. The reason for the transcendence of the supernal letters over the soul is that the letters of God's speech are influences of power and life force from his emotive attributes, which are united with his essence and being in a perfect unity that is infinitely higher than the level of wisdom and creative beings. The... The letters of God uh, come from his emotions, which are absolutely unified with God, as we explained earlier, and which is infinitely higher than the level of wisdom in created beings, because the highest level of wisdom in created beings is not godly wisdom, it's not divine wisdom. Divine wisdom is infinite. Divine emotions are infinite. Because they're inseparable from God. They're one with God. And God is infinite and undefined. And therefore, all of His attributes are also infinite and godly and undefined. While the highest level of wisdom, of human wisdom, even angelic wisdom or heavenly wisdom, or sublime wisdom, it's not godly. It's not divine. Spiritual wisdom is not godly. It's not divine. So it's limited. It's finite. And therefore, it cannot grasp, it cannot contain the divine. And... So the divine attributes, emotional attributes, are superior to the highest level of human wisdom or created wisdom or spiritual wisdom or heavenly wisdom. Um, and therefore, this, even the speech, God's speech, which are merely the uh, express and reveal God's emotional attributes, like he explained earlier, that to reveal the emotional att- divine emotional attribute of love and to concretize it, and to communicate it, and to convey it. God said the word or, there should be light, or he said the word mayim, 
And with that, he reveals and he creates uh, water and he creates light. But the words and the letters, the energy with which he creates the water and the energy with which he creates the light, the building blocks with which he creates the energy with which he creates the light, they come from, they come from the divine emotional attributes and which are totally superior to wisdom. See, even the letters are also superior to wisdom, to created wisdom, heavenly wisdom, spiritual wisdom. So the letters of God are alive. They're godly. They have all the creative, creative forces. The fact that God's speech has the power to create. God's breath has the power to create. Not only God's thought, which surely have the power to create, but even God's speech and God's breath, they're all connected, they're all godly. And they're inseparable from God, because God is an absolute unity. So God and His wisdom is one, and God and His emotional attributes is one. All of His emotional attributes, including the lowest one, which is speech, and the breath of speech, they're all part of God, and they're all inseparable from God. Okay, continue, top of the 980. They are termed letters, not in relation to created beings, but only relative to God's emotive attributes themselves. The name letters, which signifies that they are lower than wisdom and intellect, is not applied to them in relation to created beings. As explained earlier, they are far superior to created wisdom and intellect. Rather, this term is applied to them relative to God's emotive attributes in as much as they are only letters, revelations of these attributes. Right, so within God himself, we refer to the emotional attributes, and in comparison to the emotional attributes which are one with God. So the ability to speak and to communicate and to reveal and to concretize and to create something outside of God, so to speak, something that feels separate from God, an entity, an independent entity that that feels is separate, like water or light or all things that exist. Um, So in comparison to the source, in comparison to emotional attributes, they are called words and speech. So in comparison within God himself, this is, this is what we call the, God's emotional attributes, and this is what we call God's speech. And when God speaks, God really has no one to speak to. So when God speaks, he creates something to speak to, so to speak. He creates something outside of himself. He has the power to create something that appears to be independent, that senses itself to be independent. He creates us, he creates the world. We sense ourselves. So that's the power of God's speech. Because just like speech, you speak to someone outside of yourself. You don't have to speak to yourself. You don't speak to yourself. You speak to someone outside of yourself. In God's case, there's no one to speak to. God is the only the reality. There is no other reality. But God's speech brings into existence. When God speaks, he, he, that alone brings into existence something that feels that it's separate from God. We feel that we're separate from God. We feel that we're independent. We are and so in comparison to God's emotional attributes, speech is something external, speech is a lower level, speech is conveying, revealing and communicating God's emotional attributes and bringing it down, conveying it and bringing it down into concretizing it and bringing it down into, into reality, into, the, into a physical reality. So in comparison to God, we say we can make distinctions like so this is God's emotions and, these are, and this is his speech, which is, which is a lower level, just like within a human being. Emotions are internal, 
personality, character, part of a person, while speech and words are external, superficial. Speech, or speech is it's like clothes. You take on, you take off. Words are not part of you. They're not an inseparable part of you. They're just a vehicle to convey and to communicate what's going on inside of you. But the speech itself, words are interchangeable. Emotions are not interchangeable. <laughs> if you love, you love. You know, and vice versa. But the words are like clothes. They're interchangeable. They're external. So too, within God, we say that God's ability to create the energy, the building blocks with which God creates the world and God's ability to bring something into existence and to create something, to create an object that's an independent entity that appears to be an independent entity, that's God's ability to speak. And that's, so to speak, God's ability to reveal, take his own emotion, so to speak, and that's the source, and to create, to concretize something that appears to be independent, but that has the same qualities of that, of that attribute, emotional attribute. Like water has the qualities of love, of kindness. Light has the qualities of love and of kindness. So to take, that's the ultimate source. Everything that exists has a source. Everything that exists has a source within God. Otherwise it couldn't exist. So everything that exists has the ultimate source. So the ultimate source of water What's the ultimate source? When you look at water, it has a source. You have to know how to look at, at an object. When you look at an object in this world, you have to realize that for A, it has a spiritual source, an angelic source, a spiritual source. But then you have to go even deeper. It has a divine source and the ten divine attributes of God. What's the source of water? What's the source of light? Uh, love. What's the, what's the source of sugar? Sweetness. Love. And we can understand it, we can relate to that also within our world because there are many, when you talk of sweetness, for example, there are many types of sweetness. There's sweetness, sugar, but then there's a sweetness in a song. Could you, this is sweetness and that sweetness, but this is a much more spiritual sweetness. There's a sweetness in understanding a concept. When you grasp a concept that you're struggling with and you finally wrap your mind around it and you, you understand it as a tremendous sweetness, a sense of accomplishment, a sweetness that you finally understand something very well. There's a sweetness in doing someone a favor, someone who has a, uh, developed a taste in doing kindness to other people. There's a tremendous sweetness. So there's levels of sweetness you can go on and on and on, all, all, all different types of level of sweetness. And now, let's take the physical sweetness of a fruit. Where does the fruit come from? It comes from the ground. Right? It grows from, the, grows from the ground. Sugar cane grows from the ground. Is there any sweetness in the ground? No. But that's the source for sweetness. The source of sweetness is the ground has the ability to create. You plant the seed, and it'll take the seed, and the seed will flourish into sweetness. And from, the, from the sun. Right, the sun, the moon. The Megid Geder Shirachim from the moon. Um, but the, so... The, their, the source is not always tangible. There's an intangible source that leads to the physical sweetness that we can taste in your mouth. There's many, many layers and levels of sweetness, deeper and deeper and go beyond and beyond. And they all like one level of sweetness brings another level of sweetness. But ultimately, what's the ultimate source of all sweetness in this world? The divine attribute of love, of God's love. 
we have no understanding of what that love is, and it's infinite, and it's, it's divine. But that is the source that creates all sweetness, from the su- heavenly sweetness, blissful, heavenly sweetness, down to the physical sweetness. And then there's water, and then there's light. Now, if all comes from the same source, what differentiates between uh, sugar and light and water? Because it has, it has its own name. It has its Hebrew name. The letters, the words, differentiate. The words are different. The combinations are different. So here you get this aspect of Hashem's sweetness, and here you get another aspect of this, like light is diffusive, and light illuminates equally uh, a dump, a garbage dump, and the king's palace equally. It's all the same. It doesn't discriminate, just like the nature of love, of kindness. So you're kind to everyone. The deserving, not deserving, that's the nature of love, of kindness. Indiscriminate. Light is effusive. Water is very generous. Water always pours down. It finds the lowest spot. It, it nourishes, it nurtures, it connects. It's like a glue. So all these qualities, every object, every entity that comes from the divine attribute of love, of kindness, reflects another aspect of the divine attribute of kindness. But this is the principle. Everything that exists in this world has a source. Nothing just happens. It's here. It has a source. A spiritual source and ultimately a divine source. Because if it wasn't the divine, whatever, nothing new was created. When God created the world, God didn't add anything. Everything, everything that exists has to be in God. Otherwise it couldn't exist. So there's nothing new. Creation didn't add anything or didn't create anything. Everything exists ultimately in God, but in a divine, in a divine sense. So in the divine sense is the divine attribute of love. And that's the source. But the, but the tenth attribute, which is the power of God's speech, its purpose and function is what God communicates. That's the link that communicates between God and something outside of God, just like speech within a human being. You speak to someone outside of you. When you have to communicate beyond yourself, you have to get into someone else's head, and you have to communicate and reveal to them what's going on inside of you. So when God speaks, God creates a whole world that appears to be separate from God. And the purpose is in order that we should have a relationship with Him. But that's the power of the divine speech. This is the power that brought this world and that brings this world into existence. Without the divine speech... There's no creation. The whole power of creation comes from the divine speech, which takes the, from the emotional divine attributes, as we learned earlier in great detail in the last chapter, how every day of creation, another attribute of God dominated. That's why you have, you have six days a week, God created the world, and the seventh day rested. These correspond to the seven divine emotional attributes. The first day was, was the attribute of kindness dominated. That's why God, there was light and there was water. And then the next day, God separated, divided, the attribute of strength. Every day has its quality. So the power of speech is to reveal, to communicate, and to convey from the divine attribute of, of love. How do you get from there to, to sugar? How do you get from there to water? How do you get from there to light? That's the power of speech. That's the meaning when God spoke and the world came into being. Just like speech within a human being communicates and conveys what's going on inside, outside of a person, so too God conveyed and communicated and revealed and took from his, transported from his, emotion, from his, his own emotional divine attribute and it concretized it and suddenly God created water and light, etc. And so too with everything that exists in this world, everything has a divine attribute. Everything has a divine source. But how do you get from the divine source to this differentiated world, to this many, many, this, this pluralistic world, 
which every entity has its own nature, its own characteristics, its own properties, that's the divine speech. And because of divine speech, there are many letters and many words and many... That's why we have such a pluralistic and such a differentiated reality where there's so many entities and so many objects. But ultimately, ultimately, it all comes from the same source. It comes from the divine, the divine emotional attributes. And the power of speech reveals it. But even the power of speech, we call it speech. Because it helps us understand what the, what the effect of the speech is, but regarding, in comparison to us, even the divine speech is really divine, it's God. And it's infinite. Because only God has the power to create. And how does God create? Through speech. So it's His speech. It's alive. The speech is alive. The speech is not inert. The speech is divine. It's creative. It's godly. And God's speech creates us and creates us this very moment. So the divine speech and even the divine breath is really superior than the highest level of wisdom, created wisdom, spiritual, even spiritual wisdom, angelic wisdom. My mom has fruit trees. And we start off in the spring with these beautiful uh, orange blossoms, for example, from the orange tree. And then you see these tiny, tiny little oranges, green oranges, and these tiny things. And they get a little bigger and a little bigger and the rain, the water, I mean, somehow, and the sunshine. And then they get bigger and bigger and they end up about the, like, I mean, the size of grapefruits. Well, you see it especially in, in the example you bring when something grows from the ground because there, is, there are no oranges in the ground. <laughs> and the ground gives... The ground gives... Uh, you know, it yields all these uh, grains and vegetables and, and fruit trees. and It all comes from the ground, yet you can't find it in the ground. The ground is the source. Because God said the ground should, should give forth grass and fruits. And that divine speech, till this very day, it's that divine speech, that creative energy. Only God has the power to create and that divine speech that the ground should be creative, it's that divine speech that creates everything, that brings everything and all blossoms and flourishes from the ground. So even though you don't have it in the ground, you don't have any of this in the ground, in the source, but the sor- that's the source for, for, for everything. So, so um, in the divine attribute of kindness, when you talk about the divine attribute of kindness, the divine attribute, there's nothing physical, there's no sweetness and there's no there's no light and there's no water but to the power of speech the power of speech draws from the attribute of of the divine attribute of kindness of love and draws out and creates all of these all of these entities now you have water and you have light and uh, so everything in the world ultimately has a divine source. That's the way a Jew looks at this world. Nothing just appears or just happens to be. Everything ultimately has sources and many sources. You go back, it has a physical source. Physical sweetness goes back to spiritual sweetness. And within spiritual sweetness, there are many types of sweetnesses. There's a sweetness of a song. There's a sweetness of doing an act of kindness. There's a sweetness uh, of, of, of an intellectual... Um, uh, awareness or understanding, um, many many levels, levels, and then there's spiritual sweetness, and then there's. But ultimately, the ultimate source is the divine, divine sweetness, the divine attribute of love, 
of chesed atzilus, the, the, in the world of emanation. But it takes the power of speech. The power of speech is called the earth. And the Kabbalah, the last level, the last of the ten divine attributes is earth, mother earth, the feminine, malchut. And the feminine has the power to create. The feminine has the power to concretize. The feminine has the power to take that seed, that potential, and flesh it out, and suddenly you gives, creates water, light, and all the physical entities. So it's the power of speech that takes it from the source and concretizes and conveys it and brings it down. But it's alive, it's divine, it has the power to create. It's, it's, it's dynamic, it's vibrant, it's alive. It's not like letters. Letters are dead. Within a human being, letters are dead. That's, in that sense, the analogy is not accurate. Our words don't create anything. They're dead. They're just vehicles. They just convey. But the divine speech is godly, is divine. Page 980, yeah. is adding something very clarifying what he said earlier. He said that the letters and even the breath that feed the letters are divine because they are, they derive from the divine attribute, God's emotional attributes, and they are one with the divine. With the, divine, with the divine emotional attributes. And since God and His emotional attributes are one, so too the letters are also one. They're in absolute unity with God. Inseparable from God, and therefore they're undefined, and they're, they're infinite, and they are creative, and are vibrant, and are dynamic, and are godly. But the question is, the letters are formed from the breath and the different shapes, the five different uh, movements of the mouth and the lips and the, and the tongue and the throat. So where do we see that letters are one, come from the essence of the emotions? The letters seem to be totally external. They come from the body. Different movements of the lips, especially the breath. How can you say breath and letters... Um, are one, come from the very core and essence of the divine attributes, of emotion, the emotional attributes, the internal attributes. And he said that the letters and the words are the source of man's soul, of other Mauritian's soul, which is the highest soul, and of his intellect and his wisdom. But letters and words, if letters and words are inert, how do letters and words, how can they be the source of wisdom? So therefore the Alter Rebbe introduces a concept which we find 
in the book of, cre- of creation, of formation, which is attributed to Avram Avinu, the hero of this week's Torah portion, the very greatest Kabbalist that ever lived, the very first, one of the first Kabbalah books ever written, book of formation. Yeah, sure, we have it. It's right here, right here behind you in the library. Um, and the Sefi Yitzira says that letters, letters are not just a physical function. Sefi Yitzira says something very profound. And if you think about it, it's quite obvious. Letters not fixed in the mouth and the tongue and the larynx. Letters are fixed in the soul. There are 22 letters within each and every soul. Every soul is filled with letters. And the proof is very obvious. Do you know how difficult it is to speak? You know, children with special needs or people suddenly are paralyzed or have a wound and suddenly can't speak. You know how difficult it is just to speak, ordinary speech that we take for granted. You think playing violin is difficult? Try teaching someone who can't speak how to speak. You can pull pull your hair. It's so difficult. The sounds. You know how many muscles go into a sound? You know what it takes to make sound? And yet, we see no one has to learn. Ordinarily, under ordinary circumstances, no one has to learn how to speak. You have to learn to play violin. You know, you have to play instruments. It's not enough to blow. You have to blow, but then you have to know how to, how to make the sound. Create the wind, but then you have to know how to make the sounds. Yet speech, which is so much more complex, we speak. We have no idea what happens. Most people go through the entire life. They have no idea that you have five different ways of making, five different categories of words by moving the lips together or by uh, the tongue pressing on the roof of the mouth. Or People have no clue. I mean, I speak. What's the big deal? You don't even think about it. It's unselfconscious. When you play music, it's a conscious effort. You have to learn it. You have to master it. Do you have to learn how to speak? You have to master how to speak? Children speak. And we speak automatically. And it's interesting, children, very young children, even though some of them are very smart, but they still can't speak yet. They're not ready to speak. Why can't they speak? They understand, they have smart, but they just can't speak. Because speech is not a question of... Speech is, a, is not a physical thing. It's an act, it comes from the soul. It's unselfconscious. Because the speech is rooted in your soul. Just like 99% of your body happens automatically, unselfconsciously, you have no idea what happens, how you breathe and how you act and how you digest. and All the billions of activities that go on simultaneously, if not trillions, in the human body. 99.9% of our body happens uh, unselfconsciously. If you have a problem, that's, that's right. when you become aware right. of it. But, but ordinarily, because speech is rooted in your soul. So when your soul is developed enough that your soul is ready to speak, you speak unselfconsciously. Your body just automatically speaks. It's not that you move your lips and then you create words. On the contrary, you have words 
in your soul. Your soul wants to speak. And the words are already rooted in your soul. So the body automatically, it's like a symptom. The body automatically just speaks. Whatever the soul wants, the body does without, it, without even, without even unselfconscious. So the soul wants to speak. The soul has words. And those words have come to the conscious level when the child is old enough, when the child is mature enough and ripe for, the, for, that, for that level of the soul to reveal itself on a conscious level, and then automatically the body just speaks without even, know, without even knowing what you're doing, how you're doing it, when you're doing it, you just do it. All these complexities of speech just happens automatically. So you see that letters and words are rooted within the soul. Letters and words are not just external. It's not just I move my lips and I create words. No, the words and letters existed within your soul. In other words, the emotions really have letters and words. The words and letters are there. You don't love in French and you don't love in English, but the words and letters are there. It's not that they're not there. They're there, but you don't feel it, you don't sense it, but it's there. And the same thing is within the intellect. When you are engaged in understanding a concept, and there are no words yet, there are no letters yet. You have no words, you don't have the language, you're just busy understanding the raw concept. It's not that the letters are not there. The letters are there already. But right now, I don't sense the letters. I'm not aware of the letters. My conscious letters. The letters are there. The soul is filled with letters, even though the soul can't find the letters. But the letters are there. It's rooted within the soul. And that's why when, you're, when, you, when you do speak, you speak automatically. You speak unselfconsciously. The body just expresses what, what the, soul, the soul wants to speak and the soul has the words. It's fixed in the soul. The soul has the words and the body says the words and speaks the words. So you see that these words are rooted within the core essence of the attributes, of the emotions, and are rooted within the core essence of the intellect. And that's why the divine words and divine letters, this explains how the divine words and divine letters could create a soul. A human intellect is the source of human intellect. Because the words and letters themselves are rooted within the divine wisdom. And are rooted within the divine. So the letters and the words really have a very, very, are rooted within the soul. Are not just external superficial. That's the point he's bringing out from, and he concludes the chapter with this point. And not only, not only the letters in, in, the, in the mouth, not only the letters in the words, but even the letters in writing and action. Also, the shape of the letter. Why is this letter shaped this way and this letter shaped that way? Because the shape tells us all about the letter. Because it's based on the root of the letter, the source of the letter, within the source, within the soul. Based on that is the shape of the letter. Because the letters are fixed within the soul. So even the physical letter, the physical expression of a letter through writing... Also, the shape of the Hebrew letters, the shape also comes from, because it's rooted in the source, within, within the divine. So the letters are deeply rooted. Now we can understand when he talks about the unity of the letters, how the letters are unified with God, are part of God's absolute unity, and therefore the letters are divine, and the letters are creative, and the letters are godly, and they have the ability, they are the source of all human intellect, of all created intellect, heavenly intellect, angelic intellect, soul's intellect, highest level of consciousness, because the letters are not just inert. The letters are not just external, superficial, inert. The letters are rooted within the soul. Just like the analogy of the, within the human being. When a human being speaks, the speech is not just external. The, speech, the letter is filled, the soul is filled with letters. 
They're fixed within the soul. And that's why, that's why there are only really 22 letters. And all of creation is created with these 22 letters. Of course, there could have been, God is infinite. God could have made a Chinese alphabet. <laughs> thousand letters. Why the only ten divine attributes? Could have been a thousand attributes. Why the only five senses? It could have been twenty senses. And it could have been totally different than we imagine. We can't imagine anything beyond the five senses, really. All our imagination is just a play on the five senses. Okay, big Martian ears and a thousand eyes. But you can't imagine something you don't have. It's like a blind person imagining eyesight. Someone's born blind. Yeah, he can. It's impossible. You can't imagine what you don't have. We are limited. God is five senses. God could have created ten senses. He created a hundred senses. Ten divine attributes. God could have created... 20, 30, 50, 100, 1,000, a million. 22 letters. Why only 22 letters? God could have created 100 letters. 15 letters. But for whatever reason, God created 22 letters, 22 different shapes. And all of our communication, this is our structure. All of our communication, all our conveying is all limited to the five, the family, the family, the different categories within speech itself whether it's from the, the lips or the, or the larynx or the tongue, or, or, and then individually, specifically, the 22 letters. So all of creation was created with these building blocks, the combination, different combinations of 22 letters. Like I said earlier, 22 letters, then numerical values, substitutions, which, in, which creates every entity that exists in this world has a word, a Hebrew word, Hebrew, which is made up of letters, Hebrew letters. Because the shape of the letters and the, 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 the combination of the letters, this is actually the building block. Each letter represents another, another um, expression of the soul. And the different combinations, various combinations, creates different entities with their own unique entities, with their own unique attributes and, and, and uh, qualities, and uh, etc. So with this, he concludes his explanation that that the, the unity of God God is unified with his attributes and it's all part of God's absolute unity and also even the letters are really all part of God's absolute unity and therefore they're divine and godly and are creative and have the power to create and to bring forth souls, higher levels of consciousness. Because the divine letters and the divine words and even the breath, God's breath, so to speak, are all, all part of the divine essence. To what extent are we, are we creating the image of God? Because well, we don't have all these other... We free will. No, no, no. Well, well, the divine... Just like there are ten divine attributes, the human personality is made up of ten. Personality and character is basically made up of ten. We have wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, and because we are created in the image of God. In that model. Yeah, but, you, are, but those are... Attributes apart from us, they're not like God, where the attributes are oh, part and of that's, God. In that sense, of course not. That's, it's limited. That we learned earlier that the analogy is limited. We're not God. Of course we're not God. 
It doesn't say we're God. It says we're created in the image of God. Because everything that exists in this world has a divine source. So man, what's the divine source of man? Man is a microcosm of the whole universe. It says when the angels saw man, they bowed down to him. They thought he was God. Because we are different than any other creature in the entire universe. That every one of us is a microcosm of the whole world. Everything else in the universe is one-dimensional. Animals are one-dimensional. There are animals that are cruel. There are animals that are kind. Angels are one-dimensional. There's the angel of Michal, of love. There's the angel of Gavriel, strength. There's the angel of Rafal, mercy, compassion. So every angel is one dimension. Man is the only creature in the universe that we are a microcosm. We contain everything. We have intellect. We have three types of intellect. We have emotions. We have all types of emotions. We have, we have expressions of the emotion. We have competitiveness and we have restraint. And then we have thought and we have speech and we have action. We have physical. We have spiritual. We have everything. There's nothing that exists out there that's not within us. We have angels within us. We have beasts within us. We have everything within us. We are a microcosm of the whole world, a reflection of the world. Nothing else is like that. So yes, in that sense we're like God. We're godly in the image of God. Just like God, we speak of the ten divine attributes, the world of emanation, that they're absolutely unified with God. What do you mean? It's only ten? It's limited, it's defined. How can you say the world of emanation is one with God? God is ten. Wisdom, understanding, knowledge. How can you limit God to ten and not eleven? God is infinite. God is undefined. But the answer is, it's not that there's ten, but the ten are all interrelated and interconnected. Where does this come from? Kabbalah? Zohar? Yeah, yeah, Kabbalah, Zohar, and the Medrash, Hasidus. So the ten are all connected. The fact that the ten are all connected, it shows you that it's really infinite. It's not ten. How can you have such a diversity, and yet they're all interlinked and interconnected and all one? It's not ten separate entities. They're all interlinked and interconnected. Every, every one of them has wisdom, has within it understanding, and wisdom has within it compassion. Compassion has within, within it wisdom, and wisdom has within it strength, and strength, ha- and strength has love, and love has strength, and it's all, they're all interrelated, interconnected. So it's not ten separate entities. Where can this come from? This can only be a reflection of something that's infinite, something that's undefined, that could contain opposites. It's really one entity, the ten spherot, the ten divine emanations. So it's really one entity that expresses itself in, in, ten, in, in, in these ten emanations. But really, it's really something infinite, something undefined. And therefore it can contain all of it and all interrelate and interconnect and it's really one. So man is also the same way. The fact that man is one entity and this one entity contains, is expressed in the intellectually, emotionally, practically, will, pleasure, physical, spiritual, Angel, beast, it's all within us, within the same person. That's a, that's a taste of the infinite. That's a reflection of the infinite. How can you mix two things together? In heaven, there's no such thing. In heaven, everything is clear. Heaven is heaven and, earth, and hell is hell. You can't, you can't mix it. Two. two plus two is four, and two plus three is, is five. It's two separate things. It's two separate worlds. You can't mix the two. This is distinct, and this is distinct. This has its place, and this has its place. In a spiritual sense of place. It's two different categories, two different levels. You can't mix the two. How is it possible in this world, within man, you can mix? It's all mixed together. Material, spiritual, physical, body, soul, beast, 
angel. All within one, one entity. This is a reflection of the infinite. This is a reflection of the undefined. They saw man, they bowed down to him. They never saw anything like it. They thought that Adam was God. So in that sense, we are created in the image of God. That's why it says that man was created differently than all other creatures. All other creatures, as God said, that there should be an animal, and the animals appeared. The animals appeared from the ground. The animals appeared, body and soul together. Man was the only creature who was created differently. It says God formed man, clay on the ground. It was dead, lifeless corpse, clay. And it says God breathed into his nostrils. The breath breathed into his nostrils and gave him a soul. So man's body, on one hand, man's body is lower than the body of an animal. Because the bodies of an animal came full-fledged together with his soul. They were like twins. On the other hand, man's soul is greater than angels. Because angels came about, says God spoke, and the world came into being. While God breathed into men. Breath, as we learned earlier in Tanya, breath comes from within. The difference between speech and breathing. You can speak and speak and speak, and you don't grow tired. When you breathe, you grow tired. When you, when you breathe out very deeply, you, know, you, you expel your breath, you have to catch your breath. You can't. Because it comes from within, deep within. So man's soul, so to speak, comes from a deeper place within God, so to speak, than angels, which are heavenly and spiritual, but that's not God. But man's soul is a piece of the divine essence. Adam's soul, the Jewish soul, is a piece of the divine essence. It says God breathed from within. Now, so it's a, it's a conflict. It's a, a paradox. Man's soul is superior to the soul of an angel. His body is lower than the, soul, than, than the body of an animal. And we see it. Is there any animal on earth who can behave as beastly as a human being? Do animals blow themselves up? Do animals do the things that, that human beasts do and it's, we shouldn't embarrass the animals or call them beasts? Kill for so what man, it's like that famous zoo, you know, the, in, in Seattle, I think, they have a, they have a zoo there. And they have a display. The world's worst animal. You walk in, the room is empty. Wall to wall, floor to wall, floor to ceiling mirror. It's the worst animal. So man, on one hand, is the worst animal. On the other hand, Moshe Rabbeinu, Mashiach, the Rambam, the Rebbe, the Rebbe. Man could reach the highest levels. So, how how do you reconcile these extremes, this paradox, these opposites? Because again, because only man who's created in the image of God, who's infinite and undefined, and who, who, who could contain paradoxes. So God could contain opposites. That's why man could contain within him a yetzer toiv and a yetzer hara. We have within us an animal, a beast, and we have within us an angel. Within the same person, within the same act. Sometimes within the same act. I give tzedakah, but I want... What's my motivation? Because only man could contain opposites within the same person. So, so man is a reflection of the infinite, is a taste of the infinite, is a proof of the infinite. That's what means he's created the image of God. So of course man is limited, of course man is limited. And we're in composite, you can't compare it to God. Because we don't have any example of absolute unity, really. But if you think about it, we are a reflection of that unity. We are a reflection of an absolute unity. We are a reflection of something divine, of something undefined, of something infinite, of something godly. The fact that we are a microcosm, the fact that we can contain so much opposites, Earth and heaven, body and soul, intellect, emotions, action, 
all within the same person, and the full kaleidoscope of emotions, and the full kaleidoscope of intellect. We have freedom of choice. We can choose. We're not like animals have no choice. Animals have instincts. But we can, a person could choose to go totally opposite, opposite his nature. The person who's the stingiest person in the world can choose, has the flexibility. He can choose. You know, let me pretend that I'm kind. Let me act. Let me pretend I'm the nicest, kindest person in the world. And, and it's, a, it's an act, but you know you have that flexibility. You're not limited. We can choose to live any way we like. You don't, you're not forced to live in a certain way. We have that choice, that flexibility. Very few people exercise that divine, divine uh, ability, the divine flexibility. But we have that choice. We have, that we create an image of God. When you choose, then you're exercising your divine spark. You create an image of God. What do you think? Oh, yeah, so when you talk about spheres, spheres are just divine attributes. Divine attributes. World of emanation. Okay, yeah, they emanate say, from God. They emanate from God. From within God. Right? And you say that they can be mixed, as you say. But you also talked about the days also having emotional characteristics like love and strength. You said like every day. Right. Each day reflects another of the divine attributes. That's why the first day, the creations of the first day reflected the light, water. They reflected the divine attribute of love. What happened on the second day was a time of division. God separated the waters, defined, created limits, boundaries. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, yes, H-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-
concept and bring it down in very clear, succinct, simple, it takes a tremendous brilliance. You said you know. that the Solomon could bring it down to 3,000 levels. Yeah, 3,000 levels. Yeah, 3, levels. Yeah. Yes, so the Baal Shemta was the master. He, was, he had the ability to take the Kabbalah and he popularized it and publicized it to the masses, that every single Jew should be able to sink his teeth into it, should be able to be inspired by it, should be able to live with it, should be able to understand it on their level. And Alter Rebbe took, took it and brought it down in language that you can really understand. The Baal communicated it through stories and songs and ideas and parables. The Alter Rebbe articulated it and presented it in a way that your mind could really get into it. There wasn't the word Hasidus? Right. It was a new word? Well, no, well, Hasidim was in, in, a, in a different context. It was a different context. There was the Hasidim Prikyavis, it's mentioned in the Talmud. There were a group of Hasidim, Hasidim of Ashkenaz. But it didn't mean, it didn't assume the meaning. With the Balshemtev, Hasidism meant the Balshemtev took all the secrets of the Torah and he popularized it and publicized it to every Jew, made it accessible to every Jew. He took this, the crown jewels of the Torah. And he made it available to everyone. He was the first massive communicator. He, he brought the, the choices, jewels of Judaism to everyone. And he, he made every Jew a part. He, he brought every Jew in to the secrets. He brought every Jew. He made it available to every Jew. So every Jew could start living a deeper life and a more spiritual life. Branch out different people and developed it, and of course, with every generation. And the Alter Rebbe was like a revolution within Hasidism because he, he emphasized that the importance of engaging your mind, not just engaging your heart, but the importance of engaging the totality of a person. If godliness does not engage your mind, if you leave your mind out of it and you have to suppress your mind or, or park your mind on the side and just go with pure faith and emotion. Um, if you don't, it doesn't engage the essence of your being, the totality of your being, it doesn't engage your mind, then that means that, that it's not godly because godly is absolute, God is absolute. There's no place empty of God. So you can't say that God could only exist in simple faith and God could only exist in, simple, in pure emotion, but God cannot exist in the world of academia, in the world of the intellect, in the world of the mind. That alone is idolatry. To say that, the Alter Rebbe felt is the biggest uh, contradiction to the reality of God. If God is real, then God is real everywhere, including the mind. So not only isn't the mind a contradiction to godliness, to being a wholesome Jew in a, on the contrary. If you open your mind, you truly open your mind, you truly have an open mind, your mind starts discerning the infinity and the, the essence of, you know, you can start getting a sense of the vastness. And this whole portion of Tanya is based on that idea, that engaging the mind, trying to understand with your mind the concept of the unity of God, that there is no other reality but God, that from God's point of view, nothing really exists. From God's point of view, nothing changed. Everything, there's nothing other than the divine energy. From God's perspective, all there is is, is the divine energy. And today we can understand it with modern physics. We see a table. Is a table a table? What is the table? You went to school. What's a table? What's, what's, what's really? What's really? What is this table, really? Atoms. No one has ever seen an atom. It's pure energy. And, you know, and what's an atom? Nothing. 99.9% of the atom. They can't find anything in the atom. There's nothing there. 
<laughs> it's it's one one point one percent of the swirling energy. So this whole swirling energy creates a table, a cup, you and I. But really, it's not it's not what it appears to the eye. So from God's point of view, it's really divine energy, and it's an ongoing process. It's a creative pro- at this very moment. The energy is transforming itself into the cup, into this, into you and I. So really, what the world appears to be is not what it really is. In reality, the world is godly. The world is nothing other than the divine energy. And that's the deepest meaning when the Torah says there's no other reality but God. We say, Hashem Echad, God is one. What are we proclaiming twice a day? There's only one God and not two gods. That's elementary. That's basic. For that, we have to proclaim twice a day. No, we're proclaiming something much more profound, much deeper. There's only one reality. There is no other reality but God. Nothing exists but God. Because what is, what is the world? It's the divine energy. It's the divine speech. It's the divine breath. As we just learned, what is the divine speech and the divine breath? Just like within a human being, the words really are rooted in the soul. So what is the divine speech and the divine breath? It's rooted within God. Within God's wisdom, it's rooted within God's emotional attribute. It's rooted within God's absolute unity. So really, it's all godly. It's the godly energy as transformed and shaped through the divine letters. Each letter represents a different a different shape, and a different form, a different channel, channeling of that energy. It's that divine energy that really brings every single thing that exists in this world into existence. And what is the ultimate source of everything that exists? What is the ultimate source of everything that exists? Ultimately, it has a spiritual source, and ultimately, it has a divine source, like water and light. What's the ultimate source of it? It comes into existence through divine speech, the divine energy. But what is it really? What's the source? the divine attribute of, 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 of love. So everything is really godly. There's nothing other than God. There's nothing else than God. The content of everything that exists is really godly. And it's a Jew's mission. Our mission in life is to reveal. Avram publicized the unity of God. Our mission is to reveal the godliness and the godly aspect of everything that exists in this world by lifting the veil and, and by doing mitzvot and by studying Torah. We take the physical world and we reveal the godly nature of everything. And how do we do that? By Torah mitzvot and by the presence of the Jew. Because the presence, the mere presence of the Jewish people is divine. If anyone needs a reminder that the world is not what it appears to be, that there is a destiny and there is a purpose and there is a creator, divine providence, not, no one lifts a pinky in this world unless it has a heavenly source, a divine source, is the miracle of Jewish survival and existence. That reminds us there's no logical explanation for the Jewish people. So this, this is a reminder. God placed a reminder in this world. We are the testimony. We are the witnesses. We are the reminder that there's a God in this world, that everything is really godly. Nature is godly. There's nothing other than God. There's no other reality. To be continued. Lessons in Tanya taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. For more Tanya study, please visit our website at www.lessonsintanya.com.